You're listening to Life Solved from the University of Portsmouth, where research is taking place to change our world for the better. In this series, we're meeting some very clever people and understanding how they're making a difference in your life and mine. I'm John Worsey, and today we meet Professor Andy Thorpe. He's a Professor of Development Economics and Associate Dean of Research in the Faculty of Business and Law at Portsmouth. So I've sort of developed an interest in sort of fisheries policy. If you want to value inland fisheries, you need to know every single fish that's been caught yeah. and the price of those fish that were caught. And if they've been used for self-consumption, then you've got to put a value on that. And that's really impossible. He told me how his work allows him to make a difference in poorer parts of the world. But there again, should we ignore something that because it's impossible, should we try to estimate as best as we can? Because if we can put a value on that resource, then we can argue more strongly in favour of its preservation. Right. I met Professor Andy Thorpe. Andy's specialism is development economics, which is all about researching growing economies. My area of research, very generally, is sort of anything to do with development economics. I work on fisheries, I worked on agriculture, I worked on climate change, and then other things that purely interest me. Essentially, I mean, it's how economies grow. What do you need to ensure that economies grow much faster? We'd often look at human capital. And he gave us a few examples of countries in this kind of category. You look at the Asian economies, one reason why they've grown so rapidly, it suggests, is because they've been very fortunate to have an education system that's been prioritised and that's enabled human capital development and clever individuals be more productive individuals. Right. We look at other regions too, and you look at the Arab countries, for example, and you find that you know one reason why they've grown so quickly and such high incomes for capital is because of natural resources. Countries whose economies are growing might be rich in natural resources that are pivotal to their economic wealth. But Andy explained how this can sometimes be a barrier to finding other sources of economic growth. Oil, for example, is very important too. Places like Kuwait, the only problem with it, of course, is that everybody wants to work in oil. Right. So you tend to find that oil tends to crowd out any other type of economic activity and they refer sometimes to there being a resource curse. Focusing on one source of economic growth and lacking a diverse economy is the problem here. It's referred to sometimes as Dutch disease because it happened in the 1970s when the Dutch yeah. discovered natural gas and the same problem there with the Dutch Guild appreciating meant that most of the other exports of yeah, Holland declined. But in economics, Andy says it's about looking at the bigger picture. Perhaps that's easier said than done when governments are under pressure to meet short-term needs and win elections. So it sounds like it's, it's always something where you have to take into account the bigger picture in terms of all the various factors that might influence how well that area of the economy is doing. Is that yeah, I mean, I mean, that's something that we do in economics, you know, essentially say as a matter of course that you look at you know, all the factors that may influence us, why a country develops in certain ways, why sectors develop in certain ways and try to disentangle the impacts of changing, for example, in the case of education, you know, should we be spending more on school books? Yeah. Should we be spending more on teachers? Yeah. Or should we be giving everybody an iPad themselves? Which will deliver yeah, the biggest benefit. Interesting stuff. It helps that Andy has a real love for economics and a personal interest in the subjects he works on, like fisheries. Since coming back from Honduras in the mid-1990s, I sort of developed an interest in sort of fisheries policy. Right. And that's led to a number of commissions from most recently FAO, the Food and Agricultural Organisation, who asked me to 
put a total economic value on the world's inland fisheries, which was interesting because, as I said, nobody had ever done it. So the reason right. they haven't done it is because if you want to value inland fisheries, you need to know every single fish that's been caught yeah. and the price of those fish that were caught. And if they've been used for self-consumption, then you've got to put a value on that. And that's really impossible. But there again, should we ignore something that because it's impossible, should we try to estimate as best as we can? Because if we can put a value on that resource, then we can argue more strongly in favour of its preservation. Right. What was most notable, should we say, is that the in terms of the value of Indian fisheries, there's a value of recreational fisheries. Recreational fisheries are very, very big in the United States. Right. And it accounts for almost half of the other total global value of fisheries. Andy observed the impact of fisheries upon the economies of developing nations. And it was this that inspired this area of his research. Since then, he's found out tons about the economic history of areas like Kyrgyzstan, a mountainous and landlocked country in Central Asia, and encountered a few contradictions. There's a lake there which is uh, 6,200 square kilometres. Right. And it's a very, very interesting history because I mean, you go back to the early 20th century and it was essentially, it had what fisheries experts refer to as trash fishing, small dace-type fish. Mm. The Soviets decided that they could, shall we say, improve the value of the fishery, so they introduced predators. In particular, right. yeah, the late seven trout from yeah, Armenia. The unfortunate problem was the seven trout plus the other sort of zander and that they introduced tended to eat most of the yeah, small fish. Yes. And what they hadn't realised was that trout, if they, when they reproduce, they spawn in rivers. So the trout would swim up the rivers and so it became very easy for the locals to just put nets across the river and net them. So the fishery really collapsed and so it was really quite funny when I went out there. For a 10-day visit in was it, 2007, I was the first international fisheries expert for almost 20 years. Right. And they said, you know, I, I, I need to work on fisher livelihoods. And so I said, OK. Arrived in country. Um, they said, we're going off to Lake Issaquah. I said, great, can I speak to fishers there? They go, no. I said, well, why not? And they said, well, because there's a moratorium on fishing in the lake. OK, so I'm here to work on fisher livelihoods, but there's no fishermen. I said, well, we've got another lake. That's okay, so how big is that? Well, it's not 6,200 square kilometres, it's 250 square kilometres. Lake Songkul is right up to about 2,000 metres above sea level. Oh, great, can we go and talk to fishers there? No, they won't. So let me guess, you banned fishing there too? Yeah. Uh, one had to go back to, shall we say, the, the basic information they got on the number of water bodies, the history of the water bodies, yeah. the the stocking historically of the, the water bodies, because they did stock during the Soviet times, but unfortunately when the Soviet Union collapsed, it was uneconomic to stock the fisheries, so most of the hatcheries also yeah, crumbled and yeah, sharply reduced the amounts of yeah. To Andy, fisheries present a way into examining the impact of wider issues in a culture. Outside of his work in Kyrgyzstan and Honduras, he's looked at the effect of political events on the economy in Sierra Leone. This involved a little more detective work to build up a story. Countries I tend to work in, I've been, you know, I've worked in Sierra Leone too, for example. Right, and gosh, the okay. there historically was, uh, you know, there was a civil war for 10 years yes. and the fisheries ministry got burned down. So all the data on frame surveys and yeah, fisheries statistics yeah. disappeared. So again, you were starting from scratch and trying to cobble a story together of what had happened and you know, how you could improve the uh, fisheries. 
I asked Andy if he'd always been drawn to working in changing or volatile environments. I've always been, shall we say, somewhat more unconventional. I mean, yeah. when I was young, not for me, the two weeks package holiday to Spain, I'd go off and hitchhike around Europe for yeah. two, three months. Yeah. So doing different things in different places, particularly where they didn't speak English, was always uh, yeah. quite exciting. His curiosity for exploring different cultures and the impact of those cultures on their economies is what drives Andy's research. But how is this actually making a difference in the developing world? He explained how his work in Sierra Leone was able to make an impact. We recommended that the, the ministry would ban plastic fishing nets because they were right. devastating fishing grounds. And the ministry, from what I gathered, yeah, took us up on that yeah. and did that. I tend to be somebody who I would listen carefully yeah. to everybody and then go away in my own time, sit down and chew, chew the cut as it were yeah. and come up with what I think or how we should move and then propose ideas to yeah. see if the stakeholders like them. And what about further afield? Andy told us about his observations in Latin America. Well, in Latin America, I mean, what we did, it was a much more research-oriented paper and we looked at the impact of the new economic model on fisheries development and we argued that yeah, it was leading to over-exploitation and fisheries stopped because... What's the new economic model, sorry? The new economic model was a sort of neoliberal economic model. Right. It was sort of Thatcherism for the developing world and yeah, it had many positives, but in, shall we say, environmental terms, one of the big problems is that they reduce import taxes, so governments like the Argentine government suddenly imported a lot of new rather large fishing vessels and as a consequence put them out to sea. Mm. They privatised the sector, so therefore they had no control really over it. And right. so as a consequence, you saw massive expansion in landings right. yeah, to the detriment, shall we say, of the underlying fish stocks. As well as exploring the wider behaviour of an economy through fisheries, Andy hopes the huge amounts of data he's collected will make the point that fisheries are intrinsically valuable to economies. For him, being able to explore diverse areas of the developing world is an essential part of building the next generation of economic minds. I've had the freedom, the opportunity with very good heads who've allowed yeah. me to yeah, do the work that I prefer to do and to develop the world. And I do enjoy teaching because I yeah. teach on a lot of the development type units. Thanks to Andy for talking to us and thanks to you for listening to Life Solved from the University of Portsmouth. You can find out more about the work of Andy and his team as well as our other projects by going online to port.ac.uk forward slash research. If you want to share your thoughts on this programme, you can follow us on social media and share using the hashtag LifeSolved. Next time, we speak to the team whose work helping children recover from bone cancer led them to develop innovative 3D printing approaches. We'll hear how these are giving amputees, knee and hip patients longer-lasting treatment. This is about the implant staying in place. The reason that's important, of course, is some of these patients are really very young, so we need these implants to stay in place for as long as possible. Make sure you subscribe in your podcast app to get every episode of Life Solved automatically. And please, do tell us what you think with a review and rating if you get a moment. From the team in Portsmouth, thanks for listening. We can't wait to share another fascinating discovery next time.